The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're listening to the hottest, the hottest NBA podcast out. Yeah, I said what I said. She's heating up. It's the Heat Check. The Heat Check. Heat Check. With Trista Crick. Here's a little appetizer before we get into the main event interview with James Ham. We had the great Keith Smith on from Track on my nightly show, BetMGM Tonight. By the way, I have a betting show that's on Monday through Friday, 7 to 11 Eastern Standard Time. It's a lot of hours, so why don't you come join us? Enjoy, sweat out some bets from all around the association, the NFL, college football, college basketball, and women's hoops. I was joined by my co-hosts, Nick Ashew and Ryan Horvath. Keith, always insightful, so let's get right into it. Keith Smith jumps on with us now, and uh, you know you know what? Let's start with your Celtics a little bit. I'm looking at a team right now, Keith, that, God, they look like, if not the best team in the NBA, pretty damn close, but we got the Sixers up four on them, about two minutes to go here in the second quarter. When you watch the Sixers, and you see what's going, not just tonight, but just, just in general for the Sixers team, I don't want to say, like, hey, are they better than what they could have been with James Harden, but it just felt like there was a distraction there, and in some ways, I don't know, maybe he held them back somewhat. Do you see a Sixers team that is maybe, I don't know, has a higher ceiling now, just given the way they're playing without James Harden? I don't know that they have a higher ceiling, but but I, I do think sometimes, you know, it's addition by subtraction. Mm-hmm. There was clearly a major distraction going on with him and the way things were going and the way, you know, things were headed with, with this situation where getting that out of there, removing that distraction, allowing everybody to just basically take their role and slot in and do what they're going to do, that puts them in a great, great place, you know, moving forward. Now you don't have anybody worrying about, all right, well, when he gets back, what's my role going to be? When he is not around, what, you know, then what do I have to do? Now everybody can just play what they're going to play and just move forward with it. So I think there's a chance it's addition by subtraction. For Philly, the, the ceiling, that'll ultimately be determined, you know, when we get into the playoffs and we'll see, do they have enough offense creation and the like. This question is uh, random but near and dear to my heart because people are calling me a a hater on Twitter right now. What is your thoughts on uh, Cam Thomas and how the Nets have basically allowed him to have superstar green light? Right now, he's attempting the most amount of shots in the NBA with the lowest assist ratio. As you can tell, Keith, I'm not super high on building a team or building an offense around him. Yeah, I think the problem for the Nets right now is they just don't have enough offense. It's a lot of Mikhail Bridges, and then they need anybody else who can create their own look. 
Cam Johnson hasn't been there. He's been out. So you got to, uh, you know, figure things out and sort through it for as long as it's going to take to get him back on the floor. So that, that's been, you know, a challenge for sure uh, for the Nets. So that's going to be a, you know, a whole thing for them. So for right now, I'm kind of okay with them letting Cam Thomas go. But I think, yeah, you're going to struggle to find yourself in a spot where if Cam Thomas is taking 30 shots a night, you're probably not going to be a very good team unless all of a sudden he develops into the most efficient score in the world because he's not always doing it with the most efficient levels. Keith, it's only a uh, seven-game sample size, but are you a believer in what the Dallas Mavericks are doing here early at 6-1? and one? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, what they did really well was they went with shooting and defense around Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. And that's, that's a, how you're going to have to win. You know, Grant Williams was one of the best value signing this summer because he'll play defense and he'll make open shots. He, he did that with Boston at a pretty good clip. We saw him do it also in, you know, high level important games. So no reason to think he can't still do that with, with Dallas. And then Derek Lively has injected just some energy, some, uh, you know, bounce into that starting group he's really figuring it out pretty quickly and their, their depth is solid enough that they've got enough guys kind of around the two stars that, that they need so when you build a team like that you're gonna probably have pretty good levels of success so I, I think it's sustainable I don't know that it's you know one loss every six seven games sustainable but I think you know they, they should be a top six team when all is said and done in the Western Conference which really you should be if you're building the team around Doncic and Irving. Keith we're looking at the Bucks right now give up almost 117 points a game which is actually slightly better than where they were earlier in the season when they were 28th in points allowed. Do you look at this and say, ah, it's a team, got some new players on there, Dame's not really a defensive guy, this is going to take some growing pains to figure out everybody's role on both ends of the court, or do you maybe see a bigger issue in Milwaukee? I think there there's that part with, with Damian Lillard and some other new guys that are playing you know, pretty big roles there in Milwaukee. But I think the other challenge that you have with them right now is you've got the uh, the, the Bucks are playing a very different scheme. They have, uh, you know, gone through a period where they're bringing Adrian Griffin's new scheme in and they're putting Brooke Lopez up at the level of the ball. And the challenge with that is that's not taking advantage of what he does well. Even when he was much, much younger, he was not going to be a hedge hard, hedge high guy and then quick, hard recover to his man. He was always going to be someone who was going to be, all right, I need to lay back a little bit. And that's just not taking advantage of what he's done and what the real kind of skills um, are of, of him that's made him a defensive player of the year candidate year in and year out. But I'm okay with trying it and trying some new stuff because you're never going to know if it will work unless you give it a shot now. But it's one of those things where I think eventually they'll probably scrap some of that, at least when Lopez is in the game, and go back to what they know works real well for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. What is it time for us to panic about the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, let's see what happens. Uh, It's twofold. How long is Darren Fox out for him? What do they look like when he is uh, fully back in the fold? Because that's going to be something they're certainly going to have to figure out, you know, because if he's there and playing, then you're probably doing, you know, pretty pretty well. If, If he's not... Uh, you know, if they're not winning games when he's back, then that's worrisome for them. And in the Western Conference, you can't give up too many games. There's too many good teams. So you're going to end up in a spot. You know, we've seen the Grizzlies are kind of in that spot already. And you're going to end up in a spot if you're the Kings, where if you look up a month from now and you're five, six games already out of the playoff picture, you're making your task in the second half of the season really, really difficult. 
If you're a Miami fan, is there any reason to be concerned at all? I mean, you're three and four, you're the 10th seed in the East, but really all you have to do is get into the play-in tournament and you're probably guaranteed to go to the finals again for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they did, there's some of that, right? But it, it also, I think what you saw with Miami, much like with, with the Lakers in the Western Conference, but it definitely with Miami was – they ran out of gas by the time they get to the finals because they had to push so hard, you know, to get all the way there. You know, you, you don't want to make that path more difficult if you don't have to. But you're also seeing some limitations of a team that they didn't make the big trade. They didn't build out their roster because it felt like they, they spent most of the summer anticipation of making the big trade. So that becomes, you know, a major thing for the, uh, you know, Miami Heat of, you know, all right, you know, are they going to have enough? You know, we know their top line guys are pretty good, but are they going to have enough to really get, you know, all the way, you know, where they need to be? And you, you can't just count on every year we're going to get in the playoffs. We're going to make a run from the, you know, play-in tournament deep into the playoffs because that's just not a sustainable thing. Keith, I'm looking at NBA Most Improved Player right now. Tyrese Maxey's the favorite at plus 225. Scotty Barnes is 5-1, to one, and then Cam Thomas, as we just mentioned, obviously 7-1. Cade's way back at 16-1. to one. It's, it's kind of a weird award. Like, you know, there's no real... It just kind of feels like you have different situations every year when a player wins. Sometimes a guy could just jump up and be an all-star. Sometimes it's bigger roles. Sometimes it's new team, whatever the case is. Does this kind of just feel like, as long as Tyrese Maxey keep, keeps pace with just the season that he started to have already, this is his award to lose? Or could you see anybody like a Scotty Barnes, a Cam Thomas, maybe even a Cade Cunningham, jumping up and maybe winning the award? Yeah, I think, uh, fair or not, I think a lot of times team record gets mm -hmm. involved in these kind of uh, awards too, and that probably really shouldn't be. It should just be based on, you know, what did the guy do? But like a guy like Cam Thomas, for example, it's more role. He, he's always kind of been this guy. I don't know that he's any improved. I yeah. think he's just always been a guy who can score buckets if he's given the opportunity, and he's certainly been given it right now. Maxi, I think what you're going to see is can he keep up the playmaking and keep up the defense? If he can keep up those two things, that's much improved because now he's not simply a scorer. I'll give you another guy though who I really think by the end is going to be some someone that people will be talking about especially if the team can win a little bit, is Alperin Shingun of the Houston Rockets. Mm. He is playing really really good basketball and you can see now when he came into the league, one of the things that a lot of really smart draft people said was, he's not Nikola Jokic, so let's not get it confused but there's a lot of Nikola Jokic in his game and you're starting to really see that uh, with Shingun at this point. Yeah, Shingun's been really good. He, he has dominated Sabonis those last couple of games uh, as well. Yeah, I, uh, I'm curious your thoughts about some of these rookies, right? Like Scoot Henderson's been injured, but I think maybe he started off a little bit slower than a lot of people expected. Brandon Miller's been kind of up and down. Keontae George finally in the starting lineup. Like, who's been the most impressive rookie so far to you outside of Wemby? <laughs> All right, I was going to say, if we're taking him off the table, I mean, I'll throw Chad Holmgren in that mix, too, because he is still a rookie the way the league classifies him. So I, I think he's played really, really well and done a lot of good stuff. But, yeah, you, you mentioned a, a couple guys who, who have looked yeah, at times. I think Brandon Miller is starting to figure stuff out a little bit, and he's starting to get a little bit more opportunity with Terry Rozier out. I, I think it's just Charlotte's in such a weird place. They have a lot of guys 
at that forward spot. We don't know what it'll look like when they get back to Miles Bridges in the lineup and when that comes, if if it comes, you know, with his more recent trouble. So we'll see what that all looks like. But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, this is obviously it's Wembenyama's race to lose here, but I think Holmgren has done some stuff for sure. And and I think Scoot Henderson, I, I know what you're saying, and I've heard a little bit of that where a couple of people have said, yeah, yeah, some, you know, it started off slow, but I think the one thing is that's a really, really hard position in the NBA to adjust to, especially when your coach is a former point guard. The the, the level of expectation there is quite high, so I'm still very, very high on Scoot Henderson. I think he's going to be a great player. It's just going to take him a little bit to get there. Yeah, could you kind of just give a, a little bit more uh, detail in terms of how difficult it is to step in and be a point guard on a and have to lead a team as a rookie? Yeah, you're processing a lot right out of the gate. You're running the offense. So not only are you making the calls in transition uh, generally, which especially for Portland, they're playing a lot of up and down games right now. So they're, they're looking for him to kind of run those things. The guy he thought was going to be his backcourt running mate who should have made life easier on him, Anthony Simons, got hurt right away. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. Then you're trying to process when you do get in the half or your coach is setting you up and, all right, this is what I want to run. and you know, let's make sure we get into it. And you're trying to make sure we're on a team with a whole bunch of new faces too. that, you know, all right, let's, uh, you know, get everybody on the same page here. And that, that makes it hard as well. And then defensively, you know, you're, you're kind of the head of the snake there at that position. You're the one stepping out, uh, you know, up there. If you're guarding on ball, you're going to be involved in a lot of on-ball actions, a ton of pick and rolls. And you're going to put that guy through quite a bit. So I think Scoot Henderson's, you know, he, he's done well considering all you have to absorb at the point guard position. But there's a reason why, you know, everybody says point guard, you got to give him a year or two to really adjust to the speed. And this is even for a guy who played at a professional level for the last couple of years with the G League Ignite. The NBA is just a whole different ballgame. Keith, I have to ask a uh, selfish question here as a Bulls fan because I knew it was going to be bad, and I know they won their last game, but now they're 3-5, and five, and they've scored 98.1 points per 100 possessions. They've been outscored by uh, 20.8 per 100, so it hasn't been good. It's been actually worse than I thought. Any chance that they're sellers at the deadline? I would like to say yes. I think the challenge is it's just not what they do. It, you know, under Jerry Reinsdorf ownership, they've never really bottomed the team out. It's happened a couple times, but it's happened naturally through, all right, just the wheels came off. We had way too many injuries, and now here we are, uh, the Derrick Rose year, for example. So that's the challenge is, you know, unless they are willing to lean into saying, all right, the best thing is let's trade a bunch of guys, really bottom this thing out and be bad. I just don't know if they're going to go in that direction, and that's unfortunate. Because as the roster is built right now, they're never going to be better than a team that's battling around the playing line. And that's just, you know, for my yeah. money, that's not good enough. I don't yeah. want to be there yeah. every year. Thanks, Thanks Keith. Keith. Always good to talk to you, buddy. Thank you to Keith Smith and the whole crew at BetMGM tonight. Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4 featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. Let's now welcome James Ham to the show. 
They call him the Hammer. He is a Sacramento icon. Covered the team for more than a decade. I think 14 years he's been on the beat. He co-hosts the Insiders on ESPN 1320 with my man Kyle Madsen on an Odyssey station. So let's get right back into it. Welcome to the show, James Ham. James Ham is a Sacramento Kings guru. Been covering the beat for a long-ass time. Insider co-hosts, actually, the Insiders with my guy, my guy, Kyle Madsen, on ESPN 1320. Find him on Twitter, James underscore Ham NBA. He is here to tell us what the fuck is happening with the Sacramento Kings. Man, that's a good question, Trista. I, I wish I had all the answers. Uh, first of all, the pace has fallen off a cliff. The last three games, slowest pace in the NBA. They actually posted a pace of like 89 and one of the losses to the Houston Rockets. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is out and they just don't look like themselves without him pushing the tempo, but that's not an excuse. It's okay. This is a fast paced team. They should be moving the ball up and down the court. It shouldn't be all on Davion Mitchell to deliver pace, but they are searching right now and they definitely did not expect something like this to happen in the first week of the season uh, where they went from really high uh, with a win opening uh, to open against Utah, a win over the Lakers, a couple of losses to the Golden State Warriors, and then to just fall on their face against the Houston Rockets twice. They did not expect that. Yeah, you know, the question, you mentioned Davion Mitchell, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Davion. I love him. There's, I've got no negative things to say about Davion, but his player comp isn't the same as De'Aaron's. They're not, like, you can't just substitute Davion into the lineup and it be anywhere close to the same style of offense. The closest player to me on the roster is Malik Monk. Why isn't Malik Monk taking the De'Aaron Fox role and Davion staying in the role that he was in when De'Aaron Fox was running the show? Yeah, I... So Monk has carved out a different role for himself on this team. Of course, he's a six-man extraordinaire. Uh, he's a guy who brings all kinds of energy off the bench. That's not who Davion is even when he comes off the bench. And so to take a guy out of that role would really upset the apple cart with your second unit as well. Just think of all the Malik Monk and uh, JaVale McGee like hookups that we've got going on right now, these lobs that they have going. Um, that would go away if they weren't playing together. So I think Monk needs an expanded role. I would like to see him play 35 minutes. I'd like to see him come in at the five-minute, six-minute mark of the first quarter and play a huge stretch of the, the first and second quarter. But for right now, Mike Brown has been reluctant to put him in the starting lineup. He didn't do it last year. De'Aaron Fox missed nine games last season. And I believe that all but one of those games that uh, Davion Mitchell started. And this team, you know, outside, if we take the one game at the end of the season, there was a total throwaway where uh, Fox didn't play. Uh, this team was four and four without Fox. So they shouldn't have this type of disparity when he walks off the court. And it's something that they're going to have to figure out because it's gotten really, really ugly very quickly here in Sacramento. Why do you think the pace is so bad? Why? And like the offense has fallen off of a cliff. Well, I think if you take Fox off the floor, it does allow oppositions to just stack everything they've got right on Sabonis. Take away his passing lanes, take away his dribbling lanes, um, take away his ability to to get into the paint and and score for himself. I mean, against the Rockets this last game out, he had four shot attempts, and that's just not going to cut it. You know, this is a very, very high-end player. He's an all-NBA player, and to see him his numbers kind of fall off so quickly is really strange, but I, I think it also has something to do with the fact that the Kings haven't been able to get their shooters going. Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter have struggled to to hit the three ball to open the season. 
Um, both of them are shooting around 25%, maybe a little bit less for Keegan now. And they just haven't found a rhythm as an offense. They made some subtle changes to this offense during the offseason. And I think it's time to look at those changes and maybe pull those changes out and go straight back to what you're doing before and then just try to build nuance into your offense. And we haven't seen that so far. Uh, I really think the offense looks so far different than it did last year. Uh, and it's not just because they're missing shots. It's it's for a lot of reasons. It's not just that. Explain that to me. What are those changes that you can see with your eyes and which ones that are specifically the ones that are not working? Yeah, so the Kings basically have you know a system where four guys run to four spots on the floor and then Demonis Sabonis settles in in the high post. And then they they use those guys to rotate and switch off of each other and set screens for each other. And it feels like they're trying to do way too many back cuts. Like the guys that are usually setting screens for other players, players that they would typically set a screen for in the corner, isn't coming off of that screen and coming back to the top for the DHO like we've seen in the past. A lot more cuts or, or resets, guys going either straight to the basket or just going to the other side. And that's one major change. I'd also say like teams are just pushing the Kings further and further away from the basket. And so Sabonis might be running the DHO like he did last year, but he's doing it from the three point line. And then when guys are coming off the screen at the top, you know, Kevin Herter is getting quote unquote wide open shots, but they're not 23, six, they're at 27 feet. And that's a big deal. You know, like they're pushing the whole offense further and further away from the basket. This team was uh, number one in two-point field goal percentage last year. They shot, I think it was 58.3% from from two. They got a lot of easy baskets. This year, they're all the way down like number 22. They're they're shooting like 53%. They've lost five or 6% off of their, their two-point field goal percentage. Not to even mention like they're number two in three-point attempts, but they're 22 in three-point percentage. So they're shooting a ton of threes. They're not hitting them. That's a problem. But more than that, they're just not getting easy looks like they were last year. And I don't think the league just magically caught up to them or that they were able to watch game film of a seven-game series against Warriors and somebody's got the the magic recipe and they've passed it along to every other team in the league. I don't think that that's the case. I just, I just think that they're starting off playing a little clunky, a little different, and uh, they've got, some, got to find their soul a little bit here. Do you think Mike Brown, and I... I agree that the Kings didn't play great defense during the regular season. I think we we all kind of knew that. Yeah. I don't know if that really matters, honestly. I think they played really good defense against Golden State in the first round, which shows what they're capable of. And they had timely defense during the regular season, which, yeah, you lose some games that way, you win some games that way, but it shows that you have that ability. It kind of feels to me. Like there was such this huge emphasis on physicality and defense because everyone banged on them for not playing defense. Or maybe there was just some soul searching internally where we have to be better. But it feels like that pendulum has swung so much to that emphasis that getting buckets has now kind of become too less important. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you to to a certain extent. I'd also point out that they're not playing good defense right now. No, 22nd right now in defensive rating. Yeah, and so what we've seen so far is the emphasis to be physical, to pick up shooters way further out, to um, try to blow up uh, pick and roll situations. You know, sort of charge the pick and roll that hasn't worked. And you know, you got guys like Chris Duarte who come in 
And almost every single time he steps on the court, he's got three fouls. And, and it happens so quickly. He gets he picks up three fouls, and the next thing you know, the Kings are in the penalty. Like, I've never seen a, a team be in the penalty so often. Like, they're giving their opposition free throw after three, free throw after free throw. And they're, they're really struggling to translate what it means to play defense, uh, physical defense without fouling. They, they are. You can see it. And it's funny because you go out there and you watch the Houston Rockets play, and that's exactly what I saw. I saw physical defense from a young team without fouling. And it's what the Kings will face when they play OKC on Friday. They'll face a team that really plays physical, hard-nosed defense without fouling. And sometimes they pick up fouls, but overall, the concept is to play it without fouling. This is not what the Kings have done. The, the other, the opponent, I don't know what the the number is, but I'm going to guess that they're they're giving up eight free throws uh, attempts more than they're getting every single night on average, and that's just not going to cut it either. So they they've got to figure out a way to translate what Mike Brown is asking for. But also, Mike Brown needs to realize that there's something wrong with his offense, and he needs to go back to the basics of where there last season. They haven't made enough structural changes or or replacement pieces. Uh, in place to actually change what they were doing last year. The only difference is Trey Lyles hasn't played a game this season because of a calf injury and De'Aaron Fox has missed three going on four games. Outside of that, this offense should have been flowing like it was before. And we're seeing a lot of standing around. So the, uh, the emphasis, uh, emphasis on defense, it very well could be a, a big part of the problem here. I'm very curious about Kevin Herter because he was so good for a lot of last year, hit game winners, and was the a kind of a part of the soul of the fun and the vibe. And he was just atrocious in the playoffs. Uh, it was just like unplayable. And it feels like that has carried over into this season. And I'm not sure if it's a confidence thing. I'm not sure if it's something else. But like, what the hell is going on with Kayvon? Um, he seems to be finding himself a little bit. Uh, I think that Mike Brown really singled him out early in, in training camp. And I mean, he kept saying, Hey, this, everyone has to be better at this. Everyone has to be better, but it's, it's Kevin who is losing his spot in the rotation or potentially losing his spot in the rotation or literally had Chris Duarte start for him in a preseason game. And so I think he, uh, Mike Brown maybe overestimated the, the psyche of Kevin Herter. He put a lot of onus on him to be better defensively and to make all these changes, but also like he just became the poster child for everything that was wrong. Um, and I don't think that was Mike's intention. His intention was to say like, look, everybody is is struggling on these, these issues that we have. Um, but for some reason, you know, Herter was not picking up on the changes quickly enough in training camp. And so I, I feel like Mike accidentally piled on a little bit and uh, and then the fans piled on. And then Kevin got off to a rough shooting start. And next thing you know, this thing snowballed a little bit. We're seeing him figure it out slowly. The rebound numbers are way up. He's starting to pick up assists. But, I mean, we're talking about a team that just lost a, a starter who averages 31 points, but also, you know, 23 and a half shots per game in De'Aaron Fox. And instead of replacing those with guys like Kevin Herter or guys like Demonis Sabonis getting more shots or, you know, Harrison Barnes, they just don't shoot those 23 shots anymore. They slowed the game down so much that it's almost like they just have a ghost as a fourth player that's not actually on the court. And uh, they're really struggling to find it. And and I think that Kevin's shooting woes are part of that. Uh, but also just like the the transition to him having to play defense at a higher level is something, you know, Mike Brown pushing buttons. I think it sent him a little off kilter. Are they 
afraid to be aggressive and and gun? I don't think so. I, we're seeing a lot of weird things that are popping up. So, like as far as like three point shooting, I don't think that they're they're afraid to be aggressive. I mean, we watched all the way through preseason where they're averaging almost fifty threes a game, right? And then we get into the regular season, they're doing the same thing again. Like two games ago, they're second in the league in attempts from three point range, and you know they're still they're still second at forty two and a half percent. It's just they're not hitting. You know, that's a problem. And so I think, you know, a guy like Herter, um, maybe he got a little gun shy initially, but a guy like Keegan Murray, we're seeing some, uh, I think he might be struggling with expectations. Like we're watching, watching him, uh, Katie Christensen described it as drifting while he's shooting. And I think it's a perfect way to describe what you're seeing. Like he's just not getting his feet set. He's not squaring his hips and his shoulders to the basket initially. He's doing all of his adjustments mid-air, and he's missing. I mean, we've seen him airball threes, and we're so used to him just being so steady that the last thing he's been is steady throughout the first six games of the season. He's been all over the map. I also think it's just, you know, everyone is trying to adjust to their new roles. Everyone is adjusting to, you know, trying to become like a guy like Keegan, trying to become a third scorer or even a second scorer on a team. And uh, sometimes those things come with some hiccups. Uh, Harrison Barnes also hiccups had that one big game, 33 gets the money and he's right now 9.6 points per game, two point rebounds per game, not counting that, that first game. Like, why do you think he's struggling? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I think more than, you know, like his shooting percentages are fine, right? Uh, up until he had a, like a clunker of a game in the second game against Houston, uh, he was shooting well over 50% from three. Problem is he's just not taking any shots. He's not in the flow of the offense. And there has to come a point where Harrison has to be part of the solution and not just saying, well, you know, it wasn't really Harrison's fault. It, it To me, it's really strange because overnight, he kind of became Andrew Wiggins as, as a rebounder and as like the rest of the game outside of, you know, the defensive prowess of, of Wiggins. And I don't know if Wiggins is still the defender that he was for that like one moment in time that we saw him. But right now they're very similar players. Like he, he's not rebounding the ball at all. He's a career five rebounds per game and he's right around two rebounds per game. Uh, and this started, this dated all the way back to like, it started in February of last year, started dropping off to like three, three and a half rebounds per game to finish out the season. And like, there's, there's really not a huge reason for that outside of him just not going and getting rebounds from what I can tell. It's not like someone else started stealing all the rebounds. Sabonis was there the whole time. So like he's going to have to make some adjustments here and he needs to be more vocal. So if you don't have De'Aaron Fox out there and Demonis Sabonis and, and Harrison Barnes combined for 10 shot attempts in, in a blowout loss to the Rockets. And, you know, again, they had plenty of time. They even played in the fourth quarter. That's just not acceptable. And there, there needs to be some accountability not just for, you know, Davion Mitchell, who who isn't pushing the tempo fast enough, or, you know, JaVale McGee, who's got too many turnovers, or Malik Monk, who came in the game and picked up three fouls and, like, had to go leave the game and looked totally disinterested against the Rockets in the second game. But also for the guys that are out there that are your leaders that, that should have a voice in what's happening. Yeah, I, I'm curious. It feels like you kind of think one portion of it is obviously the accountability on the players, but a lot of this is just tweaks that maybe shouldn't have been made by Mike Brown. That's possible. Yeah. I mean, you need to be better defensively. And, and I understand that everyone should understand that, that this team needs to be better defensively. But at the end of the day, it's really about net rating. It's not about offensive rating or defensive rating It's about having a higher net rating and winning games. I think he did put a lot of focus on the defensive end. 
And I also like, let's be honest, it's not like anyone did him any favors. You know, you went into an offseason knowing that you didn't have enough length and athleticism at the wing to play elite defense. You knew you didn't have great defensive players. You came back with virtually the same exact rotation, except for you have JaVale McGee there and and you have Sasha Vazenkov and you have Chris Duarte. But again, these aren't major pieces that are playing, you know, tremendous amounts of minutes. So you're asking the same group of players to do something different than what they've done before. And now I it think worked. Yeah. Well, no, it did. But I think that like you expected some organic growth on the defensive end yeah. and maybe you're not 24th. Maybe you somehow get to 18th by just adding a couple of small pieces. But I don't think that was enough for Mike. And I think he he wanted to to take a major jump to get up to, you know, number 12, number 15. And that seems to I, I don't buy that the Kings are tired because they're playing a more physical brand of defense. I don't buy that at all uh, because they're not playing that that great on the defensive end. And I don't see that there's so much exertion on the defensive end that, uh, that it should be costing them or their legs should be shot shooting the three ball. But, uh, at the same time, I don't understand the, the tweaks on the offensive end and like they're subtle and whatever it was, you know, Mike Brown said we had this specific play set in our, in our bag last year, but we only used it like three times a game. Now we're going to use it like 30. And whatever that place that is, it needs to go because it, it there's something wrong right now. You can bring it back and maybe you can go, you know, double it up to six times a game that you do that. But for right now, they've lost the soul of who they were last year, which mm -hmm. was this fun, crazy offensive juggernaut that everybody in the league is like, look at that. I mean, it's kind of like what we're looking at the Indiana Pacers right now and going, yes. oh my goodness, that, that sure does look like fun. Everyone wants to go play in that, in that offense. And they, that was the Kings last year. And all of a sudden they've lost sort of like a, a direction of who they are. Mike Brown said, nobody's position on this team is sacred, which felt like changes could potentially be coming. Like, what do you think he meant by that? Well, I think the biggest change that comes is that De'Aaron De Fox steps back into the starting lineup and everybody like takes a step backwards. I mean, it is a big deal that, you know, Demonis Sabonis has to be the number one on your team for, you know, the better part of a week and a half now. And that means that just out of default, almost, it's that Harrison Barnes, now you're number two. And that Keegan Murray or Kevin Herter, you're number three and you're number four. And Malik Monk, you throw in there. Like, it does matter that De'Aaron Fox is gone and that you're you're having to rely on guys that maybe aren't comfortable with where they have to be in your in your offense or you know where they have to be as like part of your scoring group but you know again like changes there aren't a lot of changes that can happen like what are they going to do are they going to put uh Chris Duarte in the starting lineup for for Kevin Herter uh, to be honest Kevin Herter hasn't been that bad the last two or three games he was bad the first two games but then he's he's slowly starting to come out of whatever it was that was a problem Good. and uh so if if it's not him then who is it I mean, is Kessler Edwards going to replace Harrison Barnes in the starting lineup? Are you going to bench Keegan Murray? Like the answer to these, no. Like Sasha Vazenkov isn't going to step in and take somebody's job. So, and, and certainly there's no way that we're going to see JaVale McGee start over Demonis Sabonis. So what are we talking about here? Like maybe it's your spot in the rotation. Uh, maybe Davion Mitchell, if he can't push the pace, maybe they do go to Colby Jones. Maybe they give it a different look. Someone who's young and like will run and 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 do things, whatever they're asking to do. He's just saying yes, sir, and going and doing it. 
but at the end of the day, you know, like you, you got to keep this group together. It's, it's early and they're having a hiccup here, uh, but you're still only two and four to start the season. You think this roster is the same come trade deadline? No. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so at all, especially if they don't wake up very quickly. Uh, like there are expectations here that have never been here before. And, uh, those expectations are going to play out in real time. Like if this team takes a huge step back and all of a sudden is, is scuffling and misses the playoffs or is fighting for the back end of the playoffs. I don't think, I don't think Vivek Ranadive and his group are, are ready for that. They've treated, uh, ticket prices like, you know, they, they flex this thing, you know, they've been waiting for a decade for this team to be good so they can bump ticket prices and all of a sudden, boom. Uh, ticket prices jump up. The last thing you want to see is this thing start to empty out towards the end of the season and a bunch of finger pointing start to happen. So I think they'll be aggressive. I think they'll be aggressive uh, at, you know, after December 15th, that's when, you know, you can, you can move guys that you, you sign during the off season, but the Kings don't have a lot of those players. Uh, I think later in December around 28, 29th is when a person like Harrison Barnes, who signed an, ex an extension during the off season, uh, becomes trade eligible. And, you know, again, he, it's not like Harrison Barnes makes so much money and that, you know, teams wouldn't take on Harrison Barnes, like 17, 18 and 19 million this year and the next two, um, that that's an easily movable contract, especially with the salary cap set to skyrocket. Again, you're looking at about 12% of the salary cap. That's a player that like teams understand as part of business in the NBA. Uh, so I definitely think that they're going to be act active and, you know, they clearly, they need that one more big piece or maybe two big pieces to get them into a conversation of something much, much bigger. You know, who's been absolutely awful this year and not used at all is Pascal Siakam. He's on an expiring. Do you think he's that piece for the Kings, regardless of whether he's gettable or not? Cause Masai is a, a total wild card, but do you think someone like him is that piece or is that somebody else for you? No, I mean, I think he would be uh, under consideration. He's a player that the Kings have, have liked uh, a lot in the past, but also like to stay with Toronto. The other guy is, is OG Ananobi. That is the guy that I, I believe the Kings have tried to get multiple times. And they believe is like the defensive, like zone, uh, tone setter that they need. And uh, whether they can get him out of there or not, I, I don't know. Uh, the Kings do have, they don't have their 2024, well, if they make the playoffs, they don't have their 2024. Uh, if they they uh, miss the playoffs, then that that hold that they have on the first round pick, it's lottery protected in 2024, 25, and 26. So they can't trade it until 2028. But they still have some assets that they can move. They have these these contracts like a uh, Kevin Herter or you know Davion Mitchell or uh, Harrison Barnes that you could package and and move. Um, I think there are, they have movable pieces and movable contracts, but it's, it's really whether or not they, they can pull the trigger on something like that. I, I like Siakam and in that situation, of course, you know, you'd move Keegan Murray over to the three and you'd figure out how to, you know, build around a different group. But I just don't think that Masai Ujiri is ever going to trade anybody. He'd rather let them expire and lose them like he did with Fred Van Vliet than to do the right thing and actually, you know, get an asset for his players. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I told D'Lo and Casey also uh, on your station that I wouldn't panic until De'Aaron Fox is back and you see what this team is for 10 games. For you, when is the time to really be concerned? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we need to see when Fox is going to be back. You know, like we heard the reports, oh, he could play as early as Saturday. And then he was the first one to say, well, I haven't really heard that report. 
And that seems strange since it's about me. So I don't know. We need to see when Fox gets back and then what he looks like when he gets back. Uh, he's a guy who has had a history of ankle injuries, although it wasn't this ankle that he had the grade three uh, a few years ago. But once he's back in the flow and this team is rolling, like I think you've got to give him 25 games. Like you don't want to be embarrassed, uh, like what happened on Monday night against against a marginal Houston Rockets team. Not to be rude, but like that team is still a long ways away from being like a, a com- super competitive team. And to just walk in there and get slaughtered two games in a row and have Alpern Shangun look like the All NBA player and not Demonis Sabonis, like that's an issue. But again, this this team is predicated on two stars that do very specific things. You take one of those stars out, you are going to have some struggles. I just don't think anyone thought it would be this kind of struggle this early. Good stuff, James. Last question: What is your favorite vegetable? Oh, I hate all squashes. I hate asparagus. I do like broccoli. Tomatoes a fruit, or I would probably go there. If I'm choosing something to put on my plate, it's usually green beans, you know? So, like, if I have a choice of, like, six things, it's usually that. I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't like the bitter the bitter vegetables. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I, I do, like, if I could say tomatoes, I, I grow a lot of tomatoes at the house, and we do a lot of, like, tomato and burrata with basil Ooh. salads and stuff. Yeah. Good stuff, well, James. James Ham. James Find him on Odyssey on ESPN 1320, The Insiders with Kyle Madsen, who's also a hoot. Uh, He gives you everything straight up, no angel dust, gives it to you like without any filter, and he's on the ground. Thank you so much for joining us, James. Hey, anytime, Trista. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. Special thanks to Keith Smith and James Hamm. Come back on Monday for an all-new episode, and check out the feed. For past episodes and many episodes which drop unexpectedly, like snowflakes from the sky or a loogie from the roof of a building. Do not forget to follow the Heat Check as we navigate the new NBA season. That means download, subscribe, tell your friends. If you know me personally and you haven't subscribed yet, why not? That's a great question. Why not? Even that stranger on the train who's buried in a book and they're walking down the sidewalk reading that book say, hey, psst, psst. A lot more effective if you just listen to a podcast, and I have one right there for you. Follow us on social at This Heat Check and at Trista Crick on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. See you next time, folks. 